Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me tonight is Joshua Shea. He is a pornography addiction and trauma coach, and he is an author who has written at least four books that I could find, including his most recent book, which I read, which is called, I Am Reading This Book About Porn Addiction for a Friend. Joshua, how are you doing this evening? I am doing great. Thank you for inviting me on here. Yeah, uh, thank you for coming. I've wanted to get into the topic of pornography and pornography addiction for a long time. So it was perfect. I started searching around and I found your book and it was just wonderful. So uh, got in touch with you and I was glad that you were willing to come on. So first question, how did you get started in this field? I got started at 12 years old when I began my porn addiction. Okay. Um, Yeah. No, I I am pretty much a textbook uh, porn addict uh, where there was trauma when I was young. It was happening at the same time that I was introduced. uh, The trauma was sexual in nature. Uh, It was mental, emotional in nature at the hands of a babysitter and, uh, I had a real rough time with it until a few years later when I discovered pornography. And I don't know how, but that it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was not a porn addict for, you know, it wasn't a matter of my porn addiction developing. It was there the moment I saw a hardcore pornography magazine when I was 12 years old. Um, Same thing happened to me two years later when I got drunk for the first time. I carried both pornography and alcoholism with me um, for 24 and 22 years, respectively. Um, When uh, all of the proverbial crap hit the fan and I finally was uh, nudged quite hard into recovery, and it finally dawned on me that after losing my job that I... uh, and being confronted for the millionth time that I needed to get myself straight, which at that point I thought was just alcohol. Once I was in the alcohol rehab for several weeks and I built a relationship with my caseworker, he kept saying, I think you have some issues with sexuality, with pornography, maybe with with intercourse itself. I don't know, but I'd like you to talk to somebody I know off campus because that was just a addiction treatment facility um, for alcohol and drugs. So I started to meet with, and this was out in California, I started to meet with a certified sex addiction therapist there. And he helped me understand a ver- uh, several key things about addiction in general. That, no- you know, number one, addiction is actually a disease. I mm-hmm. had heard that and just was one of those million people who was like, no, it's not. You, you bring it on yourself. And oh my God, porn addiction, sex addiction. Now there's the disease to have. Um, yeah, and, yeah we've you know, I, I all those exact same things, but he made me realize that addiction is a disease. Porn addiction is a real thing, is a real disease. I had this disease and that it not only predated the poor, uh, the alcohol, it probably caused more overall problems and had more overall uh, impact in my life than the alcohol ever did. Um, And then, you know, as I went through treatment, I'm the kind of guy who is a total geek and a bookworm. 
I went to the bookstore, which we still had, you know, eight, nine years ago. And uh, there were books on addiction in general. There were books on alcoholism, to be sure. But there was one generalized book about sex addiction, which was really more about intercourse than anything else. Um, mm -hmm. And there are other sex addictions along with pornography. You've also got things like exhibitionism um, or... Uh, voyeurism these can be addictions as well under that umbrella of sexual addiction and uh ultimately my background as a news writer and editor for about 20 25 years when i uh, finally um, got into recovery i said you know what if there is no if there are no good resources for this stuff for the average dude like me um I might as well make them. And the reality is, you know, I do like to read studies. I, you know, I, you can give me the New England Journal of Medicine and I'm perfectly happy thumbing through it and seeing what's there and, and, and jumping into it. But I know for most people, that's like reading Shakespeare would be for me. It's just not mm -hmm. going to happen. It's a foreign language. So I started to learn as much as I could. Um, and then I decided to, you know, write my first book, which was basically an autobiography. After I wrote that, I, a part of me actually thought I'm done. This is all I'm going to do. This is my contribution to this world. And I'm going to go off and be a ghostwriter or, you know, a freelance writer for the rest of my life. And that's cool. Um, but I got so many emails and it wasn't from addicts. It was from the partners, the wives, the girlfriends there. I did get a few from men who were worried about their female partners. And I did get a few from some uh, homosexual couples, but it was mainly women worried about the men in their life. Usually the wife, usually the girlfriend. Uh, I, I got one from a mom. And they were mm -hmm. all just saying, if you got better, how can I help them get better? What can I do? Mm -hmm. Or he has, it's not even that he looked at porn. It's that he shattered my trust. I can't trust any of this. And I started talking. I was starting to do podcasts at that point for that first book. And one of the podcast hosts was a licensed marriage and family therapist named Tony Overbay. And I went back to him and I said, hey, I'm getting all these emails. You know, what's what the heck are they talking about? He explained the betrayal trauma in this, you know, porn addiction world, how that would work out between the, the male and the female. And I said, well, they really want to get my point of view, because I guess they can trust me to tell them if their husband or boyfriend is telling them the truth or not, because I had a very keen, you know, English to addict dictionary, um, an addict to betrayal dictionary in my head, and I could help them understand. So I started to do that absolutely for free and realized just how much information I was getting from them, what their fears were, and just talking about my own personal experience. So I went back to Tony and I said, let's Let's do something. So we did this second book on betrayal trauma, specifically geared toward the female who is partnered with the male addict, porn addict. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of blew everything up and made me realize that I wanted, because that still is the best-selling book I have out there. And now, that made What's me, the name of that? The name of that book is, I just happen to have it here. He is Great. a porn addict now. Okay, here we go. Now he's a go. porn addict now what? Great. Um and it's, it's question and answer. It's very, very simple to follow. I understand why it's the, uh, why it's the bestseller of, of all of them. But that was when I realized, okay, I want to get into this more. So I actually started going down the public speaking route. I did a mm -hmm. TED Talk. I was speaking at some colleges. I went to several libraries throughout New England. And then the pandemic hit. And 
nothing was happening. So sure. I actually wrote a book. My third book I wrote was called Porn and the Pandemic. I did a lot of research and a lot of my own studies the first three, four months of the pandemic because I knew this porn would blow up. There was nothing Nothing could be better for the online porn industry than mm. forcing everybody to stay home for half a year or a full year. I mean, my God, okay, all of you horny 21-year-olds, you have to leave your bartender jobs and your waitress jobs and your waiter jobs and you're doing your, you know, all these, and we need you uh, back home and, uh, you know, keeping us all safe. And uh, But, yeah, go see if you can find some online work. Well, a lot of them did find online work that we can get into mm -hmm. if you want later. But um, I wrote this book and it got the notice of more of an academic side of things. So that opened up a lot of new channels to me. And then um, I uh, last December, somebody kept pushing me to get on TikTok and pushing me to get on TikTok. And I knew the statistics for young porn users, which are crazy, mm -hmm. but I, I just it's another world. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't even watch MTV anymore. I'm, I'm an old man. No. And so do it, do it, do it. I finally, you know, relented and went and did it. And that absolutely blew up. Um, shocked me. Cause it's, it's kind of funny that, you know, I've got a 23 year old daughter that wants so many followers and I'm just <laughs> talking every day about porn. And yep. wouldn't you know, that's what, that's what brings them in. Um, and, uh, the coaching, once I hit big on TikTok uh, last December, I was going back to uh, public speaking. I was going back to um, hit the college uh, circuit again and because that's where, you know, I felt like my uh, skill set was best. Um, but I did coach during the pandemic. I took I got some certifications in betrayal trauma and porn addiction. I also learned how to be a uh, therapeutic disclosure specialist during the pandemic so I could still bring money in. But I thought I thought I was going to let that go. I started to, you know, begin to book things. And I just realized not too long ago that this coaching thing and connecting with people through TikTok and trying to trying to talk to that younger generation, that next generation, the one that's going to make the biggest difference in this fight that's going to be ongoing for decades. They're the ones who we need to get excited about it right now. And I'm loving doing that. And that brings me to you today. So tell me, in America, how bad is the problem of porn addiction today? Uh, yeah, it's, it's mighty bad. And most of the uh, uh, trustworthy statistics that we have, um, mm -hmm. they come from before the pandemic. So most of them are now getting to be five, six years old because study in just about every aspect of science kind of grinded to a halt, especially fringe things like porn addiction. So um, these statistics may even be worse today, six years later than they were, because we're talking about the great you know, shutdown um, happening in between when we could all look at porn unbothered. Um, and uh, what you see there is you just, you ultimately see an explosion. I mean, I think that's the, uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. You see an explosion of use uh, during the pandemic that not only was the explosion on the uh, producer's side, but it was also on the consumer side. It was also on the producer side with a lot of these cam sites, a lot of these one-to-one -one people, you know, kind of sites. And I'm not going to share the names because I don't want to, sure. it's not a how-to yeah. video. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but 
coming out of this pandemic where we are, and I need people to, you know, not be too freaked out about this, but yeah, it, go ahead. it is worse than before the pandemic in 2017, 18% of people in America would fit the definition of pornography addiction, 18%. So that's just under one in five. Um, but if you look at the male population, 18 to 30, 18 to 30 males in the U.S., you're looking at 32 to 35 percent who self-diagnosed, and that's important to remember, it was a self-diagnosis, that they either have a problem with pornography, they are starting to have a, a uh, addiction to pornography, or they have a full-blown addiction to pornography. That's one in three men under 30. These are the men who do not remember a world before high-speed internet. These are men who are reporting erectile dysfunction rates at between 20 and 25%. When I was 20 years old, 25 years ago, it was 2 to 4%. That's mm. how bad this is getting. And you can't tell me that our monkey brains have evolved in 25 years or any, any other thing has happened. We're not all of a sudden you know, eating tainted candy. It's, it's got to be the porn. It's got yeah. to be the porn. And, and all these guys know it's the porn. And that's why, you know, like I said, I just, the more people I meet through TikTok, the more people who send me emails, the more people who come for coaching, it's like, this thing is mighty bad. This thing is really bad with the youngest generation. And I just fear that people over 40 years old who might remember a world before the internet, much less high-speed internet, I don't think that they got hooked into uh, social media. I don't think they got hooked into the web. I don't think they got hooked into com communicating the way that the youngest people in our country now do. And these youngest people are reporting mighty scary statistics uh, with pornography. And, you know, something you mentioned is that the 35% of males, I think it was 18 to 30 was what you mentioned. Yeah, 30, 32.5% basically. Okay, so if they're self-diagnosing, I mean, let's face it, anyone that self-diagnoses is, I'm going to say, from from my experience with addiction, with which is alcoholism and drug addiction, we've talked about that on this podcast. You know, when someone comes into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and they say, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that I have a problem. You know, everyone kind of looks at each other and snickers because it's like, well, nobody says that unless there's a good chance you, you have a problem. But you will have several people that clearly have a problem that are just not willing to admit it yet. So even if we're saying the number is 32%, you know, I, I could only imagine or guess that the number is probably north of that somewhat. Right. Uh, we were talking about some folks that don't want to admit, you know, that they have right. an issue. Keep, keep in mind, like I said, I think this was 2017. This was a wow. organiz okay. organization called the Barna Group that it was a commission study for uh, Covenant Eyes. If anybody wants to look it up, because a lot of the statistics in there are still the best ones we have right now. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean. <sighs> Someone runs up to me and asks me a question about sex for a survey they're doing. I don't care who they are. I'm yeah. probably not going to be 100% honest about it. Yeah. And I know which way to answer. You know, it's, it's we all learn early in school how to fudge the truth just enough that we can sleep at night, yet our teacher is none the wiser.
Yeah. Now, let me ask you something, Joshua, because I was a psychology and sociology major in college. I did not finish. I do not have a degree in those. But you end up taking a handful of surveys and making them. And one question that comes up sooner or later in some survey is, do you find that you have issues with authority? And my thought was always, who on earth answers that question in the affirmative? Like, who's the guy that, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Problems no, with no. all of the, yeah, well, everybody knows to say no to that. Well, that's the thing is what I like to do is I like to ask who's ever giving me the test. Can I have a red no. pen? I would like to draw a red flag next to this one yeah. specifically <laughs> to bring it to the government's attention and whoever else is going to be seeing this. Because I oh, just want soul. you to know absolutely bat crap crazy. Here you go. Yeah. I just confirmed it for you. <laughs> okay. So there are a lot of folks on, um, that follow this podcast that are maybe young parents or they're newly married and they're starting and planning on having a family. And I know one thing that a lot of people would like to know before we get into how to treat it is going to be, what are the best steps I can take to keep from ever having a pornography addiction in my family? Like what are the things that I can do that would be well, helpful to make sure that my kids maybe don't go down this road? Cause let's face it. If we're a parent, we would like to avoid these landmines if we can. Ab absolutely. Uh, the first thing I would say is you can never be in denial that it couldn't happen to you or your family. That's mm -hmm. the biggest thing that I see with parents. Uh, and, and it's funny because they can be the most conservative people on earth and they can be the most liberal people on earth, but sure. everybody likes to think they're the best parents on earth and <laughs> they believe there's no way that their kid could get into it. And actually mm -hmm. the truth is yes. The first, so number one, don't think that you're immune because of some special connection with whatever force in the universe yeah. or ballot box you check because yep. it doesn't really matter. I have met people from 18 to 80, men, women, every uh, socioeconomic. Yep. Rich and poor, doesn't matter. Tall and doesn't short. Doesn't more. Doesn't, yep. doesn't more. Doesn't matter. Yes. Um, any, anyhow, um, so that's the first thing you have to realize is, yes, it could happen in your family. Number two if you are going to put filters onto your child's devices, which I think can be a fine thing to do, you cannot just stop there. This is, you know, there are 4.8 billion smartphones in this world. You lock down one, you're not really doing all that much because there's, there's a lot of others out there. Um, you lock that down and think, phew, I don't have to worry about this. You put NetNanny on their uh, laptop or their, their tablet that they play with. I think, whew, that's great. That is burying your head in the sand. That's why those, that's why those filters for parents exist is so you can bury your head in the sand and not worry about what's really out there. Because the average kid is now looking at pornography at 11 years old. And it is not wow. a matter of if your child sees pornography. It's a matter of when. Um, mm -hmm. Not too long ago, there was a Canadian researcher who was trying to get a grant from the government to do a pornography study. He couldn't do it because he could not find a large enough group of teenage boys in Canada who had not watched pornography they had to they had to cancel the study that's how big it is out there right now so if you are putting little johnny on the bus or little janie on the bus and you think that there's no way that that kid sitting next to them who also has a smartphone because these are the best porn computers we've ever invented and we just give them to 10 year olds and say off mm -hmm. to school 
Yeah. That kid next to them on the bus may be showing them some of the latest crap that's floating around the internet as far as pornography goes. That's how most kids see it. They see it because of their friends, and there are just so many devices out there, you cannot block them all. So what do you have to do? You have to do this little thing called parenting that we need some more of. Whoa! Whoa! Sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're going to have to parent. And it's not, and these are the point, these are the times where parenting can be tough, but it can Mm -hmm. also be really interesting because you can create a healthy, good person. And that's really the idea of behind parenting. So instead of just going, oh, sex, like my parents did and the parents before them did and the parents before them did, you can actually step up and break the chain. Mm -hmm. Um, What you can do is make things very age appropriate. If you don't want a teen who's watching porn, then start planting seeds when they're three, four, five years old. Just something simple like, hey, I just want to let you know if you're ever uh, playing on the iPad or you're with your cousins or your friends, you're playing on the iPad and you see some pictures of uh, people without their clothes on, uh, Mm. come bring it to me so I can see where that came from because little kids aren't supposed to see that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Simple. It's just yeah. like this. Don't, don't touch a cigarette. If you see yeah. a bottle of dad's beer, don't take a sip. Mm-hmm. No, you're, the kids. Oh my God. What are you talking about? No kids are kids. are Okay, fine. And then they're going to go off and play with their friends and do something else. Maybe the following year you tell them, Hey, I just want you to know, you know, you are, you know, not to ever let anybody take a picture of you without your, your clothes on. And mm-hmm. you can never take a picture of anybody without their clothes on. Um, and if anybody ever asks you to do that, come and make sure you let mommy and daddy know and leave it at that. And yeah. it can be incremental. And yes, I think when you get up to 13, 14 years old, especially for the boys, I think you can start talking much more graphically about what pornography is because by that point they've seen it. And that's mm-hmm. probably the time where you want to start, you know, I don't want to say necessarily scaring them, but informing them about of some of the really negative ramifications of pornography addiction. And I think, you know, every 13 and 14 year old boy who is watching pornography daily, They, it's not that they want to become a pornography addict. They probably want a girlfriend. And it's not that they want to have a girlfriend to have sex with immediately. They're probably looking to hold hands. They're probably mm-hmm. looking for you know a simple kiss. They're not looking for what they're seeing on screen, but that's mm-hmm. all they have in the moment. And I think if you tell the, some of these guys about porn-induced erectile dysfunction and you know mention that one in four guys who looks at porn now essentially their penis breaks along the way at some point that's absolutely true so is it scaring them maybe but it's scaring them with the truth and i gotta think some 13 and 14 year old boys might think twice you know when you find out what happens to people who use heroin and meth when you're 13 or 14 years old or people who smoke their whole life and this other stuff i think that you know these are the messages we need to share and ultimately every parent needs to recognize the do not use pornography speech is not the same as the birds and the bees speech you Mm -hmm. and i we've been talking here now for 22 minutes and 50 seconds according to the clock we have not described any scene of pornography in any detail that would bring this beyond a pg rating you don't have to do that it's about not it's about asserting your rights as a parent 
to ban certain things in your home and having a reason behind them. And if you're doing cigarettes or alcohol or drugs or whatever you're doing as a parent banning in your home, you have the right to ban pornography too. And you don't have to go into it and explain because kids are kids, kids are smart by 10, mm -hmm. 11 years old. They know what porn is. So don't worry about that, but it's mm -hmm. okay to ban it in your home. Yeah, you know, really, uh, you can boil it down to uh, step one, the ostrich syndrome for parenting doesn't work. You can't just hide your head in the sand and hope it, it's not going to come up. It is coming up and the kids are going to know what you said needs to needs to be repeated. No matter how much effort you put into blocking sites and blocking phones and doing your due diligence in that realm, it does not matter. It does zero effect because for every kid who has parents who are trying to keep them from these things, there are a thousand parents that don't put any effort into it and your kid plays with them, they're friends with them, they're on the bus, they're in the sports programs, the kids are going to come into contact with it. So you just have to bring it up. It has to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's move on to how do you know if you are addicted to pornography? Well, I think that the important thing is to point out here that addiction, there is no blood test for it. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you you're an addict. Being an addict, all you are doing is meeting a criteria by hitting X amount of symptoms on a list. That's okay. what being an addict is. And a lot of people won't get help because they don't like the word addict. Well, sure. then say big fan of or say, yeah. you know, hobbyist gone wrong. You call, whatever, and I tell I tell my clients when they're like, I don't like to be called client. It's like, then you tell me what you want me to call you. Problem sure. user, pretty, pretty princess. I'll call you whatever yeah. you want. It doesn't matter here because what you have done is recognize you meet the criteria for mm -hmm. this condition. And it's largely... Addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. You know, you, you know that alcoholism didn't take place in your mouth and in your stomach. And, mm -hmm. you know, cocaine addiction doesn't take place in your nose. And uh, gambling addiction doesn't take place in a casino. And porn addiction didn't take place down between my legs. All mm -hmm. addiction takes place between your ears and your brain. And mo addiction is addiction is addiction. They all will have their own unique side effects. You know, you are probably going to go bankrupt quicker if you're a gambling addict than if you're a mm -hmm. porn addict, but you will probably, you know, be facing infidelity quicker as a porn addict than you would as a gambling addict and so on and so forth. But when you look at the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, the endorphins, all of those things going on in the pleasure centers, basically you become a slave to your pleasure centers. Some of the main symptoms include uh, losing interest in things that you once found enjoyable so you can, you know, use your substance or behavior of choice. Uh, you know, things like uh, choosing your substance or behavior over friends. Making promises to yourself is a big one. Tonight, I am not going to drink that beer. Tonight, I am not going to look at porn. And suddenly, you know, three beers into it and 30 minutes into looking at porn. Whoops, I couldn't keep that promise to myself yet again. And, you know, there are, there are about 10 to 12, most people agree, of these symptoms. And usually four to five is absolute confirmation that you fit the classification of being an addict. The, and, you know, hey, yippee or, oh, that's horrible. Nothing's different about you than was five minutes ago. Now you just have a label if you want to put it on yourself. More importantly, what are you going to do about it? Now, uh, we had one question come in here talking about 
uh, imposter syndrome and also the number of people in the age range we mentioned before, 18 to 30 year olds who are being medicated more frequently for anxiety. Uh, do you think that, that some of that could be due to porn addiction or do you think that porn addiction might come behind that as a way to cope? Or both. Well, most most people report that their addiction began as a way to cope with strong feelings. Mm -hmm. um, usually, those were feelings that caused you know unresolved trauma that hopefully needs to be resolved later. But yeah, absolutely. If you can, if you, I can't think of an addiction um, that probably doesn't feel really good at first. That's mm -hmm. why we all get into it. There's something horrible happening in our life, and pornography happens to pass our way or a drug happens to pass our way, or we take our first trip to the casino, or whatever it is, we find something to use to medicate ourselves, to basically wrap whatever that horrible thing, usually some form of abuse, wrap it up in foil, stick it on a shelf, move forward. And as long as you have your little passenger with you, who will always help you in those times when you're low, and you know, God bless America, because I had two of them, porn and alcohol, so I could always find one somewhere. I could always, you know, you can't look at porn in front of people, but you can drink. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was a pretty functional alcoholic as well. And yeah, it's one of those things where you look at addicts, people who do reach that classification, and most have some kind of underlying mental health issue. Now, it's not that most people who have mental health issues are addicts. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. But most people who are addicts also have an underlying mental health issue. So they are absolutely uh, intricately linked. And as far as imposter syndrome goes, it's funny because I was the king of imposter syndrome uh, during my life. I, I put my life into seven or eight different little cylinders and I played the parts to the hilt. But I was playing, you know, I, did, I, I thought the best way to live your life was compartmentalized. And it wasn't until I got into rehab, until I got to that second rehab for uh, sex and porn addiction, where I started to do the deeper trauma work and started to understand how, you know what, I can pretend that these are different pieces of my life, but it's just one life. And what you have to do is actually take all these different pieces of your life, put them together like a puzzle. You know, if you didn't have the box putting a puzzle together, you wouldn't know what the what the picture looked like until you were finished. And that's kind of what recovery has been for me is putting together all of these different pieces that I very carefully kept apart from one another and seeing that everything connects. Even though I may not understand how my professional life was affecting my kid's school life because there were several steps in between, if you sit there and look at a puzzle that's like 100 pieces, you can draw a line to any uh, two pieces by taking a path. And to me, that's, to me, that's the greatest analogy for recovery is you have to take these separate pieces that you've kept apart for so long, put them together and take a step back and see what's in that picture. And then you've got to create the picture that you want it to be. Okay. So somebody gets to the point, they say, okay, I think I have a problem with this. I listened to this podcast. I got on your website. And before we go any further, if you're following us or watching us live on our Facebook and YouTube videos, you can see on the screen P 
paddictrecovery.com. That's paddictrecovery.com. And you can take your smartphone and just scan that QR code. That'll bring you right to Joshua's website. You can find his books. You can find a lot of resources there. Uh, so someone has listened to this. Maybe they've read one of your books and they say, okay, I, I think I definitely have a problem. Uh, what is the first step uh, in recovery. Okay. You're, you're, you're thinking, I, th- I want to do something. Where do I start? Uh, if you actually truly do want to do something, you, in my opinion, have to find out where you are starting from. Okay. And, and I think that you can do that by talking to somebody. I think you do it by several different ways. I think you could talk mm-hmm. to a coach like me who has certain certifications. And with myself, I also fit into the category of recovered uh, from that substance. You could go and step into a 12-step meeting and just hang out in the back and listen. Hear, see if you hear anything uh, familiar. Um, you know, maybe, you know, not, not to get a sponsor right away, but just to recognize, oh, there are other people like me out there who actually got better. You know, go sit down with a therapist. Um, go sit down with somebody you know who has had this before. I think the most important thing you can do is sit down with somebody who is more of an expert than you, whether that's experientially or academically, um, who knows their stuff, who has worked with a lot of people or has simply been in parts of programs that help. Um, and I think to me, that's the place to start because that's talking to somebody who has seen success, who knows success, whether they have coached or, or, uh, counseled, um, you know, hundreds of people who are now doing better or whether they have been parts of 12 step groups and seen hundreds of people doing better. Um, I think it's important to talk to people who have seen what recovery can do, because if you've seen what recovery can do, you are just absolutely sold on it. It makes Mm -hmm. your life so, so, so much better. Um, you almost have to be careful not to oversell it in the beginning because (laughs) life just gets so much better. And it's, that's what so many addicts are afraid of is what am I like minus this? Because this is such a big part of my life. And Mm -hmm. I can, and and you mentioned, you know, the, with you with alcohol and, you know, same thing here is that I, I was at a baseball game in Chicago a few months, about a month ago. And man, I remember drinking beer at Fenway Park. I don't think I was sober at Fenway Park for 10 years, maybe 15 years. And uh, I go to a baseball game. I still get a little tweaked. Um, and that probably will always happen. And that's okay because I have the tools to fight it. But yeah, you know what? They're still playing baseball. You can still enjoy yourself. And, you know, I think that uh, what somebody has to recognize is that recovery is absolutely possible. It's not guaranteed, but it's possible. And somebody who has worked with a ton of people or is one of those people themselves, I think that's the best place to start because almost any of us have known so many others that we can say, oh, well, your story is very common. You're, you're right in the middle of everybody. Or, you know what, you may need some help or you may have a problem that's going to grow if you don't take care of it. Or it might be, you know, holy Snickers bar, let's get you actually to a hospital right now because there's yeah. some pretty bad stuff going on. Um, thank God you 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 stopped and came to us. Um, they can tell you where you are in that cycle. You know, that's one of the things that we have to do when I meet clients for the first time is figure out where exactly are, are they in the addictive cycle. 
So then the idea of inpatient rehab or outpatient rehab or group counseling or one-on-one, that might, you might get a better answer as to what you need once you find someone that has gone through it and can Absolutely. point you in the right direction rather than not knowing which way to go. I, and, I, and I can tell you this, as far as alcoholism and drug addiction, you know, I thought, number one, there is no way out of this whatsoever. Uh, and number two, uh, I was completely lost as far as where I would go or what I would do. You know, it was only by uh, going to a, a rehab and having uh, an initial assessment done, you know, where I was pointed in the right direction, was able to get the help that I needed. And and I can tell you, years later, I couldn't believe how much better my life was. I didn't even realize how bad my life was and and the problems that I had going on until I went, you know, and, and got that help. <clears throat> okay, so let me ask you this. If you are in a committed relationship and you believe you have a porn addiction, let's say maybe you went to, you found someone uh, locally that was able to help you, a therapist, uh, a group, and you, you, you got the response from them that you definitely need to get into recovery, you need help with this, your feelings that you have a problem are correct, do you tell your significant other, your spouse about your por pornography addiction, your pornography uh, problem? Is that going to help? Is it not? Is it always the same? What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are number one, if you're married, the answer mm -hmm. is in your vows. Mm -hmm. For sicker, you know, for, for better, for better, for worse, you know, it's for sicker, for health, for richer, for poorer. Well, this is a time that you are sick. And mm -hmm. this is, and, and here's the thing about addiction is, uh, and this is often why I do speak to the betrayed spouse uh, they think that addicts watch pornography with the same mindset as somebody who uses recreationally. And that's mm -hmm. not the case. Somebody who uses recreationally, they are using it almost always as a substitute for actual sexual intercourse or some form thereof. They are looking for a stimulation of the genitals, essentially a stimulation of the mind and going off to bed. A lot of people, the way that you can, you know, kind of weed them out as being addicts is do they stop using when they get a girlfriend or boyfriend or gender neutral, whatever is in the middle these days? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, do they stop using, does their, does their use go almost to nothing? And if it does, odds are they are not an addict. Odds are they are using mm. it as a surrogate for sexual activity when they don't have an actual partner. That's not how addicts use. I got to tell you, I didn't care what was on the screen probably 95% mm -hmm. of the time. Um, maybe the first 5% of the time I watched, um, I cared. But all I cared about was being able to get to a point where I found something that stimulated my mind enough to cause the orgasm, to cause the release of the chemicals in my mind. That's all mm -hmm. I wanted. I, I seriously did not care if I was looking at women or men or something in between. If I was, you know, seeing people get into weird fetishes because none of it was sexually appealing. I, I, mm -hmm. I saw things that I would run from in the other direction if I saw it in real life. And I've been to sure. Amsterdam a few times. And I've seen <laughs> some messed up stuff, but I would not be into some of the stuff that I actually had to watch just to get the, just to get the dopamine, just to get the serotonin, the oxytocin. And a lot of my clients, uh, you know, when they are in ongoing addiction for a long time, and this was the same thing with me, 
I'll say, you know, I don't even want to watch. I don't even care. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to see it. I wish I didn't have to do this, but I have to. I mean, that's the point they reach. And it's a lot like an alcoholic who, you know, needs to, needs to drink because they will get actual withdrawals. They will start to feel sick. That mm-hmm. is how a lot of porn addicts feel. Because again, addiction is addiction is addiction. And once a partner truly understands he's not watching porn as a substitute for you. This has nothing to do with you being pretty. This has nothing to do with your abilities in bed. This has nothing to do with how much he loves you. This has to do with the fact that he's got a brain disease that makes him obsessive towards this thing. And this thing, pornography, is just so tied up into sexuality, so tied up into nudity, so tied up into intercourse that it's really hard to pull apart these two things. And I always try to tell people, I am not anti-pornography because that would be a waste of my time and energy. What I am is pro-healthy sexuality. And Mm -hmm. this is one of those things where if you learn what the addiction is, you know, a lot of times you can understand where once they go back and do the trauma work, it's very clear why it was pornography. It's very clear how pornography affected their lives and how they got here today. And I can't think of one uh, addict who I've coached where his wife truly caused any problems. And I can't think of any of the betrayal trauma sufferers who I've coached who actually caused these problems. You know, it's it, the guy brought it in with him. You, we can debate whether it's, uh, you know, DNA or whether it's brought on or all that stuff. Science can debate, but he brought this into the relationship with you. You had nothing to do with it. And when there is a segment of guys who will fight tooth and nail that they are not addicts, I am sorry if you ended up with one of these, they will throw everything but the kitchen sink at you telling you it's your fault. It is never your fault. So I'll just mm-hmm. throw that out there towards the uh, towards anybody who is a betrayal trauma victim um, dealing with uh, either uh, pornography or infidelity. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because that and honestly, it seems like a logical, natural reaction to have yeah. when your partner is doing that. I mean, that makes sense. But like you said, you know, I can tell you that I was never drinking at anybody i was never trying to ruin anyone's life you know i i was trying to drown the voices in my head that i couldn't get to shut up and if i drank enough i could drown them for an hour or so and then i could you know kind of then you found out about podcasting yeah (laughs) and now you just repeat what they're saying yeah (laughs) when people people for 25 years asked me how can you be a writer how can you be a writer and I say, it's fairly simple. You just have to write down what the voices tell you to write down. And that's how you become a writer. And then, oh, okay. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. I asked. <laughs> you can blame your success or failures on the voices. Exactly. It's the voices that are doing it. Okay. So in your book, you made a distinction between pornography and masturbation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think naturally you would assume that those would be linked together. A pornography addict, you know, should go hand in hand with masturbation. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Yeah. No, very, I didn't even, I didn't even try that. So that, that's just how good we are here at Bible Thumper. So I've just been caught up doing, saying that myself. (laughs) Um, This, this this is, this is a, this is a tough subject to not unintentionally throw double on top. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, okay. Uh, can you ask your question? 
Sorry. Yes. Uh, in your book, you made a distinction between pornography oh, yeah. and masturbation. And I think the assumption for everyone is that the two go Together. hand in hand. Right. Yeah. Hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to discuss this. Um, mm -hmm. We, uh, I would say that the best analogy I can give you is if I've been feeding you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches your entire life, much mm -hmm. like porn and masturbation go together, you've never tried these things separately. So when I say to you, well, what do you prefer? Uh, peanut butter or jelly? Mm -hmm. You're like, uh, what are you I, talking about? Like do do yeah. you really though? Because you've I never separated them. And I could give you a peanut butter sandwich and you might, oh, this thing tastes like sand. And mm -hmm. then I give you a jelly sandwich. And you're like, oh my God, I have found the way to heaven. It's through these jelly mm -hmm. sandwiches. Don't ever mm -hmm. give me peanut butter again. I don't need it. And there'll mm -hmm. be other people who will be like, my Lord, peanut butter is from the heavens. God bless George, mm -hmm. George Washington Carver on figuring mm -hmm. this stuff out. And then tries a jelly sandwich. goes, oh my God, who could eat this? Mm -hmm. The truth is that these are two different addictions that sometimes get locked together, but most of the time aren't. Usually a person is far more addicted to one, but they need the other to complete the cycle. Now, I can go back and tell you in my case, had you asked me back in 2014, if you would have said to me, so uh, what are you addicted to, porn or masturbation? I would have said both. I would have mm -hmm. said it's both. It's got to be both. But I'll tell you, when I got into treatment, or even I started, you know, well before I went to that rehab, I started when I was in that first rehab, um, I, um, I recognized once I dropped the porn, the masturbation went to nothing. There were no urges. There was, mm. I mean, not, none beyond what a normal statistical male would have. Um, mm -hmm. There was nothing there. There was nothing to it. And one of the things that I'll often do with my male clients, and you're talking about it in this book, uh, this book really works as kind of my first one or two sessions with people. I put most of the things we talk about to sort of get not a diagnosis, but let's get a framework of where you are. And we have to figure out, are you a porn addict? Are you a masturbation addict? Or are you both? Because most people don't know because 100% of the time, those two things have, those two activities have gone together. And I have met people who say they're one, they turn out the other, say that they're both, end up as one, say they're one, end up as both. Every type mm -hmm. of different thing goes on. So I have found the first most important thing to do um, in my treatment with people. I tell them, it's like, I know that this is self-help that I'm trying to do, but if this is a bookstore, we're not in the self-help section. We're in the mystery section because we have to work on what it is you're actually addicted to. Um, I was wrong about what I was addicted to. That's that, that was, that was mind blowing in and of itself when I recognized that. So that's why I say you've got to, you know, extricate these two things from each other that, um, everybody just puts together like peanut butter and jelly or, you know, like chocolate and peanut butter and a Reese's peanut butter cup. You know, you uh, you have to pull these things apart and kind of isolate them. And then the person ultimately has to, you know, be very honest with themselves about what their urges are, about what their, uh, you know, um, triggers are. And if they can be honest with themselves when they happen, when they come, we can find patterns, we can find commonalities, we can find trends in their thinking and their behavior that tells us what they're addicted to and what is triggering it in the short term. 
Um, that's the most important thing to do at first. Before we get into any of the deep stuff, we've got to get control of the addiction. And I have found that this activity is uh, absolutely um, a, a huge help in figuring out what direction to take a client in, in at least my uh, experience. Now, you mentioned earlier some different types of I'll call them sexual addictions, kind of all under the umbrella of sexual addiction. Obviously, pornography is the one that we're talking about in reference to your book. But you also mentioned uh, voyeurism and some other different types. Exhibitionism. And and when people say sex, one of the reasons I don't like the term sex addict Mm -hmm. is like, because to me, it's like the term drug addict. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're addicted to something known as a drug, but that tells me nothing more. Specifically, it doesn't People jump to intercourse mm. yeah and i i wish that we could when you hear sex addict means a sexual you know disorder addiction. addict, and yeah. it could be intercourse mm-hmm. um it could be you know, porn it could be voyeurism it could be exhibitionism and there's seven or eight other ones um that exist that are you know very minute parts of the population but that do exist I, i'd rather see people label it as intercourse addiction because i i still feel kind of weird telling people that i was a sex addict because I know most people are naturally going to jump to the conclusion, oh, I cheated on my wife. I had sex with lots and lots of sure. women. And that's not the case whatsoever. I was mm. very you know, faithful on the physical side of things. We can debate whether looking at porn is cheating or not. I think that's something for every couple to discuss as they enter into a relationship together. Because you want to be on the same page because it's going to come up later. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I, uh, we need to start to talking about intercourse addiction, porn addiction, and these other ones by name, just like we talk about opiate addiction or benzodiazepine addiction, you know, different drugs out there. We get more specific. You know, you call someone a drug addict, you don't really know what to think because there are so many mm-hmm. different you know drugs out there. There are so many different sexual disorders as well. And uh, I hope the people at least listening when they hear sex addict don't jump just to intercourse because there are plenty of other people out there. Do you find that one leads to another? Is there a progression or do people find their niche and they stay in their lane? When it comes to pornography, one in five men, uh, this is statistically one in five Mm -hmm. men prior to the pandemic would step outside of their marriage uh, to look for something else. Usually they didn't jump straight to infidelity. A lot of times you're talking about massage parlors or other, some intermediary that mm-hmm. happens in about one out of five male porn addicts. Now here's, what's actually interesting. And I've seen a ton of theories. Why more than 50% of women who are pornography addicts will actually act uh, on some kind of behavior, often having sex or not skipping the massage parlors or other types of things and going ahead. And if they're married, you know, committing infidelity. And uh, if they are, if they're not married, but they're in a relationship still actually physically cheating. Um, Again, we can debate why that is, but yeah, there is a percentage that does end up that way. Just because you are a porn addict or just because your partner is a porn addict, it doesn't mean that they are going to act outside of the relationship on you. I don't want anybody to think that. Does it happen? Yeah, but it also happens in a heck of a lot of non-porn addicted marriages as well. Sure. Okay. Uh, You mentioned... Um, in your own life, there was uh, trauma 
which started this. And I believe you said that that is going to be a root cause for all addiction. Is that correct? Um, well, I don't want to speak out of uh, addictions that I don't know about. First of all, I know Fair when enough. it comes to alcoholism, roughly 70% of alcoholics in most studies I've seen are, you can draw a straight line to, to trauma from childhood abuse. It's the, the best uh, statistics I can give you uh, for men in the United States come from a, one of the oldest studies by Dr. Patrick Carnes. He's kind of the godfather in this area of study. Um, and he had a study where he uh, looked at men um, from all age groups, all demographics. I think it was over 3,000. I don't want to misstate that, but I think sure. it was a really large group. And what he found was men who were intercourse or pornography addicts that uh, just over seven, um, excuse me, just over 70% of them suffered some form of physical abuse in early life. Uh, just over 80% suffered some kind of abuse in a sexual from or sexual abuse early in life. And over 90% of men who ended up as intercourse or pornography addicts had some kind of emotional or mental trauma early in their life. Um, and that's, that's kind of spells out that you almost always will have one or more types of those traumas if you are a tried and true male porn addict. And I always have to tell most, a lot of guys, especially young ones will immediately say, nope, nothing ever happened. And I got to tell you, it took me about two or three months to really nail down what happened to me. And mm -hmm. I knew where I was headed. I knew it was in the direction of this babysitter from the beginning because, you know, my mom told me flat out, you've always, you, whenever we've ever brought that up, you have a visible reaction. So it's like, mm. okay, well, there's a place to start. And I knew it was in that direction. That still took me two to three months to really establish what happened at that place, to remember the things that happened at that place. So if you think immediately there's no trauma there, that's completely normal. That's absolutely completely normal. And I also stress to people that, you know, trauma is not just you know, your Boy Scout leader touched you the wrong way. Trauma is not dad came home, is not always dad came home from work and beat the crap out of you. Trauma can be that you were bullied in school. Trauma mm -hmm. can be that somebody very close to you died when you were young. Trauma can be that you were promised something and that promise was never delivered and that left some deep marks. And the important thing to also recognize is that you can have a twin brother or twin sister who is going through the exact same thing as you and will act in an absolutely different manner. That's the thing that's really challenging when it comes to addiction and the mental health side of things. You know, a hundred of us break our hands the exact same way. The doctor's not going to be very different with his diagnosis. This is a blah, blah fracture. We know this because of the x-ray. We know that historically over millions of people, it takes seven to eight weeks to heal. You'll then have four weeks of physical therapy. Doesn't matter who you are. That's the hand story. Well, mental health and addiction is so different that, and you know, when you talk about things like trauma, my brother, who was two years younger than me, he was at that same babysitters. He doesn't remember a whole lot of the things that I remember. And I've made the decision not to dive deep on them. I don't tell too many stories on these podcasts specifics. I don't write too many stories in my books or any other place or when I'm talking about this because I don't want him to stumble upon it and hear about the some of the horrible stuff that I saw happen to him. And uh, 
because I don't want him to have to go down that road. Something in his mind protected him. He's doing great. He's a father of two young kids, has a great wife, good life going. So why am I going to step in and, and mess it all up for him? He didn't have the same trauma reaction I did. And that just uh, tells you how you can't compare yourself one person to the next. You can't just say, how long does it take for me to get over porn addiction? I, I, I don't know. I yeah. guess we'll, uh, the only way you can know is to find out and try. It's so before we go any further, I just want to bring up uh, this on the screen and make sure everyone has a chance to see it. Uh, this is Joshua Shea's uh, most recent book, which is I am reading this book about porn addiction for a friend. Oh God, this is impossible. Yeah, I know. It's a mirror image from what you're this looking is, at on the screen. So it's all I suddenly have a lot of respect for the Brady Bunch. <laughs> So uh, anyway, uh, this is a great book. Uh, the title is just brilliant because I, I bought the book. I read the book before this interview. And and from the, from the first day I bought this book, I put it in my bag. And when I'd have some time between work and running errands, I would take it out and, and I'd read through it and I'd be highlighting stuff. And every time I would put this book down, I would put it title side down so nobody could see it yeah. and it was so funny because i knew you know uh, and i would i would say oh yeah i'm don't worry i'm reading about this book about porn addiction from my podcast you know okay <laughs> friend that sounds good that's what i can change it to but it, it was just such a great title so i had to yeah. say that i couldn't do good. just one i'm reading this book about porn addiction for my podcast that yeah. was a little too narrow scope. So a little too specific of an audience to try to, yeah, yeah. yeah, to try to nail down. So anyway, uh, we really do appreciate you, uh, coming on. Um, maybe we could have you back in the future for, you know, some follow-up and some more specific, uh, subjects, but, um, again, everybody, uh, you can find Joshua Shea at P addict recovery.com the website is on the screen we're going to put it in the comments and you can scan the qr code see and you want to end the podcast and i just finally figured out how to reference to point to, to yeah to find just looking this way yeah i finally figured that out and you want to end the show that's horrible <laughs> so we, we really do appreciate having you and um yeah um get uh get get a hold of that book uh, you're going to want to read it for yourself. You're probably going to want to get a couple of those copies because you're going to want to pass them around. Um, Joshua, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on and get into this, I'm a pastor and you run into uh, pornography addiction as much in churches as you do outside of them. So you want to be able to have resources to pass to people for help. Uh, it's, we certainly don't want to just avoid uh, problems. We don't want to avoid. We don't want to be the ostrich and stick our head in the sand. So uh, I would encourage everyone to get a hold of that book, take a read through it, and like I said, get a couple of them so you can pass them out to some folks that that need the help. So uh, with that, thank you for being on, and uh, we'll be back next Sunday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, and uh, everybody have a great week.